Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome back. Sit down, buckle up, get ready to enjoy this ride. I am going to discuss the new headlines that are talking about this virus, the coronavirus, coming from a lab in Wuhan. Many of us have have suspected this, and now this is being confirmed. It's more likely to be confirmed. More and more things are coming out. The second part of the show, I talk about solutions to overcome this virus. There's a couple lines of thought. There's a couple lines of reasoning. But it looks like it's becoming more clear that there are some things we have to do and some things that we just cannot do. Take a listen. Buckle up, guys. You can follow me on my website, tstuch.com, T-S-T-U-C-H.com. You can follow me on Twitter, tstuch1, T-S-T-U-C-H-1. You can follow me on YouTube, Taylor Space Stutch, T-A-Y-L-O-R Space Stutch. Like and subscribe. Thank you and enjoy the show. Increasing confidence that the coronavirus started in a lab in China. So that is what people have been reading the last couple days. Many are wondering, did the coronavirus outbreak that is now ravaging the world and changing people's lives forever, did that come from a lab in China and not merely from what people have been saying for months, a wet market? Now, I've already covered this in an earlier podcast, but I want to kind of hit it again because it's gaining more and more traction. Back in when this thing first started, I was, you know, I was still over in Asia, still in Taiwan, and I was immediately skeptical of the idea that this originated in a wet market mostly because of how quickly the this explanation was offered. So, right now we live in a strange news paradigm. Um, The best way I can describe it is you have to develop an intuition for things that you view as fake. You have to develop an intuition for um, truth and false or mostly for things that are false. I would say that in this day and age, in this day and age, the most important thing when looking at news, government statements is not necessarily being able to say find the truth. That's going to be extremely hard. I think it's going to be near impossible in many cases to find the quote-unquote truth, especially in a world where we don't know what the truth is. You know, what exactly happened in Wuhan, um, we may never know exactly. But back in January when I was reading that there was a strange pneumonia originating from a wet market, it seemed so fast and it seemed like it was pushed so hard, I was immediately skeptical. And what's interesting is, is that there are people, the news media in the United States was also very complicit. Um, In a previous episode, I've gone over through the many sources, right? You can go through, you can look at New York Times, CNN, you can look at Business Insider. There are many different publications that were talking about how it was a conspiracy theory that this came from a lab, that this was a bioweapon, and they were there was a lot of tomfoolery. So what people were doing is they were conflating the fact that it may have come from a lab with the accusation that it was a bioweapon. This is how this is one way that fake news is done. All right, it's done. It's the same thing with immigration. 
Um, if you say that uh, you don't think that we should have open borders, then people say, oh, you want to put kids in cages. It's actually the exact same technique, and the news was using this technique on Americans and on the world, in fact, regarding the coronavirus outbreak. If you questioned the origin story of the outbreak, if you said, uh, I don't really think it came from the wet market. I actually think it might have come from a lab because people on the internet had got this from the beginning. There were people on the internet who in January were saying, hey, this there's a there is a P4 lab in Wuhan um, and it is like this close to the wet market. It's pretty close to the wet market. It looks like it's a candidate for where this thing started. There were people saying that from the beginning, from the very beginning. And uh, Steve Bannon also jumped on it early. But people were getting taken – people were getting attacked for stating that, and it was very interesting. I even saw on Facebook um, some friends that I, that I have on Facebook. You know, Someone would bring up the idea that maybe this was let out from a lab. Maybe it was on purpose. Maybe it wasn't, but, and then people would jump on that person just like trained monkeys. They would jump on that person and say shit like, oh, you know, uh, it didn't come from a lab. It's been debunked, blah, 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 blah. That, the whole bullshit, it's been debunked. That is most of the time when people use the phrase it's been debunked, it has not been debunked. And the, it's, a, it's a pretentious statement most of the time. Oh, it's been debunked. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's, you know, let's go through why this is wrong, how it's wrong. Don't just tell me it's been debunked and leave it at that. That's some bullshit, daw. So um, let's jump back on topic here. There is an article here from the Washington Examiner. Right now, you can find this across the internet. Uh, it says, increasing confidence, China blamed coronavirus on wet market to deflect from Wuhan lab escape. This is from a report. There is increasing confidence that China blamed a wet market in Wuhan to deflect how the novel coronavirus originated in a nearby government laboratory, according to a new report. As sources familiar with China's early actions... Uh, told Fox News, the breach came not as a part of an effort to construct a bioweapon, but rather as part of the Chinese Communist Party's attempt to show its abilities to study and fight viruses was comparable to those of the United States. The unnamed sources were not identified, and it is not immediately clear whether they were intelligence officials or other members of the Trump administration. But Fox News reported they were briefed on China's initial reports to cover up the outbreak and had reviewed pertinent documents. One, uh, one such source suggested that this could be the costliest government cover-up of all time. The report said the government was first trans the uh, virus was first transmitted from bat to human, and patient zero was a lab employee who was accidentally infected before spreading the disease outside the lab. Records outlining the initial reactions at the lab as well as early attempts to contain the virus are said to exist. Sources also characterized the World Health Organization as being part of a cover-up from the very beginning. Fox News reporter John Roberts added more details. Um, interesting. So it will be very interesting to see where this goes. Um, I had heard listening to Steve Bannon's war room that there were reports uh, made to the State Department back, I think, uh, a couple years ago 
that were saying that there is the P4 lab in Wuhan. It was either that or there's another. There's two locations in Wuhan where this they were looking at could have originated from. The P4 like virology lab or a CDC. They have like a Chinese CDC. And the CDC lab was supposedly lower level in terms of safety standards and safety precautions than the level four institute. So now, and the last time I talked about this, this was um, not as, it was not being as flushed out, as heavy as it is now. But there are many people who have been speculating that this did come from the lab especially as there was a uh there was a paper that was released from China back in January where some Chinese researchers speculated that the virus may have come from a lab and that paper was quickly taken offline and it was very I do believe you can still find it if it's out there and that was just another piece of possible evidence that this came from a lab and the Chinese have been de- – you know, first off, people should be able to tell that the official story was bullshit just from the fact that it changed, right? So – and I don't mean changed as in changed with new information. I mean changed as in changed the blame. So the Chinese Communist Party at first said it came from a wet market. They said it came from a bat. Well, then they said, no, it probably didn't come from a bat. It probably came from a pangolin. Ah, well, it probably came from a pangolin at the market. And then they said, no, actually, it didn't come from a pangolin at the market. Uh, It came from the U.S. government. The U.S. government military came to Wuhan, and when they went to Wuhan, they released the CIA or the U.S. government dropped the virus in Wuhan and allowed this thing to escape and blow through the country and the world. Okay, And then they said, well, no, actually – Italy probably let this thing escape. I think it was Italy. And so then they said – well, they didn't say Italy let this thing escape, but then they tried to say that it originated in Italy because um, Italy was saying that they had some strange pneumonia cases back in November and December of last year. Now, to touch on that, um, there's so many people. I follow some uh, people mostly in the finance realm who have been talking about how oh no this has to be more widespread you know they've been talking about having cases in in December and November and it's very interesting because these same people who are saying that maybe covid-19 was spread around the world in November or December are also are the ones that are saying that we have to look at the data in order to make decisions but what they don't realize is that none of those possible strange pneumonia cases they had back in November or December in Italy have been verified to have had COVID-19. Same here in the United States. There are some people that claim that, oh, maybe COVID was here in the United States in November, December. It's already gone through the population. However, those same people are neglecting to use the same standard of evidence for their claims as they're using for accusing other people as prematurely shutting down the economy. Now, let's go ahead and talk about the economy here for a second. So, the you know we have had tens of millions of job losses. People have now been in some form of uh, I would say call it a voluntary lockdown now for um, it's been what has it been? It's been roughly 
a month now, over a month. It's been about a month here in, uh, in my city of Houston. So when are we getting out of this? I'll be right back with some hopefully some answers after this break. So let's talk about opening the economy. Let's talk about it. So there are lots of people are clamoring to get back out there. I myself included. Now, I do make my money online, so I, I really don't need to go out anywhere to make money. That's not the issue. Um, for me, I just don't want to see my country and everything go down. That being said, you know, I am for people staying home as long as possible. I don't want to see um, unnecessary problems from this virus. And I do sometimes think maybe I'm overreacting and, and maybe this thing isn't as bad as we think. Uh, but I, from what I have been reading and studying about this thing, one of the biggest issues that we have with this virus is that it's unknown. It's extremely unknown. We don't really know why it affects people the way it does. Uh, the one issue is that some people seem fine. Some people are, you know, get the virus. They get a, even mo- more. It's even uh, more mild than the flu, right? Some people get it. They might even just hardly get anything. Some people get it and they do get like a flu-like illness. Some people get it and they are just destroyed, right? They are hit hard, and so that is what we're everyone. That I think that's one of the big problems with this is that it's going to hit a lot of people. We don't exactly know how to protect everyone because we don't exactly know how this is going to affect people. We don't know ahead of time like, hey, you're going to be fine but you're not going to be fine or like, hey, you're going to need um, to go to the hospital to survive and you're not going to need to go to the hospital. But we know some percentage of the people that will. Um, so Eric Weinstein believes that one reason why that they've been telling everyone to go on lockdowns is because they don't want to deal with a large amount of triage deaths. So that is deaths resulting from triaging, which is whenever you have to decide who's going to live and who's going to die, that they would rather avoid this scenario so the uh, government and administrators and bureaucrats, they don't want to be responsible for that. So they're going ahead and tanking the you – know, they're go ahead and telling everybody you got to stay home because if these things get overrun, we're going to be held responsible for not being prepared is basically the idea. Now, I don't know if that's true. Um, I think it, there's probably some big truth to it, and I think it may be true. But how do we get out of this fucking mess that we're in? So first off, I think it's safe to assume that this is a dangerous virus and there's a lot we don't know. That being said, we have to proceed as cautious as possible. That's how it appears to me and a lot of other very smart people that are a lot smarter than I am. Now, what... I there have been a couple different approaches. One approach is to use one from a guy named Bajali or Balaji on Twitter. He's a uh, kind of a tech guy. He's been very very proactive on the uh, virus since the beginning. And one thing that he talked about was creating zones. And other people have talked about it too. You know, we create green zones for people that are already cleared the virus or for people that have never been infected. We create uh, zones for them. We create zones for people that are um, infected. 
uh, so that way they don't mix. And we could event- we could essentially, the idea is, get the economy up and running in the green zones. So if you live in a county or a city or a part of your city that is a green zone, you could work uninhibitedly. One of the biggest issues with that, though, is that you have to figure out who is in the green zone and who's in the red zone. Now, one of the big issues with that is how do you prove that you um, – have been sick and recovered? How do you prove that you're not sick? How do you prove that you are sick? Do you have to carry around identifiers, identification? This is a whole nother layer on top. This is proving to be a very difficult question to answer because we do have to adhere to our civil, our standards of civil liberties. Now, I know we have a lot of issues here in the United States with our civil liberties. The government does a lot of fucked up shit. But we don't want to keep going down that rabbit hole as long as we can prevent it. So the idea that people walk around with papers, I think, is, it, is better at least than the idea of um, using phones or you know, some kind of chip in, inside you. But I still don't really like the idea. Uh, I think it's useful to at least think about these things, but do I think this is a is, – is this workable in the United States, especially without much testing? I don't know. I don't think so. Now, I like this idea more. I like the idea of green zone and red zones more than some other ideas, but let me go one more thing about the green and red zones. With the green and red zones, you'd have to also restrict travel from red zones to green zones. Um, so you wouldn't be able to allow people from those areas to go there because they could, uh, you know, cause more infection. Now, what else is there's uh, the other possible thing that some people talk about is the idea that we should just let everything go, and I'm not in favor of that either. I'm not in favor of people just saying, "Ah, screw this thing. We're just going to go about our lives completely as before." Uh, for one thing, we have to change our lives. We have to live our lives as though this affected us in the future because we need to make changes to our economy. Like people have talked about, our supply chains have to change. Our supply chains for food and our supply chains for products have to change if we want to avoid disastrous effects in the future. Right? So in the future, if we have a pandemic or something like this and it's even bigger and more devastating, we want to be able to disconnect from that network in order to save ourselves. So in order to do that, we want to have things closer to home, production and manufacturing closer to home, um, farming closer to home. However, if we force the economy back into high gear with this virus now, then what we're going to, one, do is encourage people to go back to the same ways they were doing business. But then the other thing is, is that if this thing is as bad as people thought it was at the beginning, and we've mitigated it by social distancing, if it just starts running un- uninhibited, it could be really devastating. And I don't want to see that. I would actually like to see people take a more precautionary approach, which is another way. Let's take a look at a tweet from Joe Norman. Uh, Joe Norman is a guy um, who hey, he's got a PhD. I can't remember what it's in, but he's a com- applied complexity guy. So he's been on Steve Bannon's show. I've been following him for a while, and uh, he's just got some really good information. So he posted uh, – he's, he's – I don't know if he studies under Nassim Taleb, but he also helps Nassim Taleb, I think, with a, a program called the um, 
uh, RWI or RWIW something Real World Risk Institute. RWRI. Um, so he says, I'm convinced we need a four-point approach to reopening. Masks for all. No large-scale gatherings, greater than 50, question mark. No long-range travel from hotspots and mass testing, especially in low-coincidence areas. Ah, see, I am 100% in favor of this. This is what I, I've also talked about this. Without totally understanding some of the you know more complex ideas behind it, um, one I've talked about masks for all. Like I've even talked about with my family, um, you know, me and my dad do have a, a martial arts school, and I've said, look, if we want to get this thing back going, we're gonna have to figure something out, right? But also, I've also talked with him about other things in in our area, and I've said, I think we're all gonna have to be wearing masks. Because if we want to get back to some amount of normalcy where we can still go out, still go to the store, still go buy food, you know, still, I don't know, go do something. If you reduce the amount of this stuff flying through the air by a small amount, we can make a huge difference. So if everyone's wearing a mask, that is a huge, um, could be a huge decrease in the amount of spread. And Nassim Taleb was talking about this. He was saying that a small increase in the a small decrease in the percentage of transmission by one person wearing a mask, when you apply that to a population level or a large population level, then you have a huge overall decrease of transmission throughout the system. So what seems like a small incremental change from one person to one person. If you have everybody wearing them, you get a huge uh, decrease in transmission. So that would be extremely helpful. He also talked about no large-scale gatherings. I think this is a, another good idea. So let people wear the masks, but also we got to limit the size of the gatherings. So this seems like um, a good idea, at least until we get through this disease. Right. Once we get past this disease, we get back to normal. But I say – this is my opinion. Even if we want to uh, open up the economy as much as possible, we still have to limit certain things in order to, say, prevent uh, a mass casualty-like event where tons of people are getting sick at once and going to the hospital. Um, no long-range travel from hotspots. Uh, this is similar to the green zones, red zones. We'd have to restrict travel. So this could be difficult to um, pursue, but for example, you could say like, hey, nobody's going out of uh, New York beyond like however many miles or nobody goes out of you know, New Jersey or something without going too far. That would be very hard, I think, to enact, but I still think it's a good idea to play with. Next one, mass testing, especially in low coincidence or low incidence areas. So from my understanding, the, and I've just thought through this myself. The idea behind his fourth point of mass testing in low incidence areas is that the, um, if you have a low number of people testing positive, if you, it will be easier to um, – well, I don't know if it would be easier, but if you can prove in those areas, if you can prove a low density or a low incidence area is clear – then you can get them back to work, right? But if you go into an area where there's tons and tons of cases, then you're better off assuming that that area has a lot of cases. And so let's go ahead and find areas where there's not many people testing positive, figure out who's tested positive there so they can isolate 
they can trace contacts, isolate, and then we can get everybody else back to work. So let me reiterate that. If you go into a place that doesn't have a lot of positive cases, right, only a few, you can go in there, apply the resources there, so that way those places can get back to work. Because it would be easier to get a place with only a few cases going back to work than it would be with a city that has tons of cases. So I believe that is the logic behind this idea. So there's a lot of new stuff coming out today. Um, And I will continue to speak and write and talk about these things. Speak and talk, as I just said. Um, You can follow me on my uh, website, tstuch.com, T-S-T-U-C-H.com. You can follow me on Twitter, tstuch1. You can follow me on YouTube, Taylor Space Stutch, T-A-Y-L-O-R Space S-T-U-C-H. All right. Thank you very much. Have a great day.